Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Well, tariffs, trades, uh, these are all things that we're hearing almost on a daily basis right now. Yesterday, the Canadian government announced that uh, they are imposing new surtaxes on some foreign steel to head off the threat of dumping. Beginning uh, later on this month, uh, imports of seven steel products are going to be subjected to a 25% surtax uh, when those levels uh, exceed historic norms. That's according from uh, the Department of Finance, a release they put out yesterday. So where is this all going, and, and, and how is this going to have an impact on us? Let's ask Ian Lee from the Sprott School of Business at uh, Carleton University. Ian, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it. Uh, good morning, Bill. My pleasure. It's interesting when I saw the story yesterday. I, I think initially people may think, well, this is all because of these steel and aluminum tariffs. This has as much to do with what the U.S. is doing with China now That's, as, as it does that, with us, doesn't it? That, that is absolutely right. The, uh, the even larger problem I have is that they introduced something I thought it was a very subtle um, uh, change. Historically, um, uh, tariffs were imposed by a country on another country when there's evidence of that country cheating. And the, def- the classic definition of cheating is that they're selling below market in the foreign country, below what they sell it for in their own country. So if you sell your widget for a dollar a unit in your own country, and then you export it to Canada and are selling the same widget for 50 cents a unit, well, that's dumping. The press release from the finance ministry did not say that. What it said was, where there's an unusual increase, or didn't even say unusual, where there's an increase over historical exports to Canada, that will warrant a tariff. Well, I mean, if you use that test, then Apple should be hit with big tariffs because Apple imports of the Apple iPhone have gone up every year, every year, every year because their market share has gone up, up, up because it's become the most popular phone in the world. In other words, that's what companies try to do all the time. I've been teaching this for 30 years. Companies try to develop a product or a service that is unique, uh, that gives them a competitive advantage, that wants, uh, that motivates people to want to go and buy that product, whether it's a car or a cell phone, or whatever. That's what competition's all about. You innovate to try to build a better mousetrap than your competitors, and then you will sell more sales. That's not dumping. That is not cheating. That is called competition. Mm-hmm. Where am I going with this? Well, we are in the absurd, absurd situation now where we're imposing tariffs on imports coming in of certain types of steel of which there are shortages in Canada because we don't make enough. So we're going to penalize Canadian users of specialty steel for doing what? For buying foreign steel that is not made in Canada. Now, why is that their fault? They can't buy it. It's not available. So then finance said, well, okay, then we'll allow them to apply for an exemption. Well, if that's the case, why impose it in the first place? Why this elaborate Rube Goldberg uh, bureaucracy to prevent something that isn't happening? I mean, the whole idea is, are they dumping? And if there is dumping, there's an anti-dumping uh, a tribunal that, that actually studies this, and they can come to very quick rulings, by the way. And that's what we've done for years upon years upon end. Now we've gone to a completely different criterion or standard, which is, are the exports into Canada going up over past years? And that's not the definition of dumping. So we're just going crazy. I mean, it's not just Canada, by the way. I mean, so is Trump, and he's, he's normalizing tariffs. 
and we're starting to treat it uh, almost as a as a, um, a money raiser for government, uh, not because it's trying to solve a policy problem of dumping and unfair competition. Was this done for optics, though, Ian, uh, f- to show the Americans that we're, we're serious about trying to stop China from dumping stuff into North America? Uh, probably. We're, we're trying to be friends with these guys again, and, yeah. you know, and, and they're very concerned about that, and legitimately so, I understand that. But, uh, but is this really just to show them, look at if you dump our tariffs, so you get rid of that steel and aluminum stuff, and, and we'll do this. Yeah, I, I do believe that uh, that was part of the, a good part of the motivation. Um, I mean, the money, let's be very clear, the money flowing into the government of Canada is just, it's just gushing. Yeah. It's, it's just gushing. So any, I mean, I've never heard of a politician or no one read of a politician that says we don't want more money to spend so we can go out and do photo ops to get reelected on the basis of all that money we're spending. I mean, politicians don't get unhappy when they have more money to spend. Um, I'm not saying that's their sole motivation. Uh, in this instance, I fully acknowledge that they're partly doing this to, uh, to send the message to the Americans, don't worry, we're on the same page as you about China. Uh, I just think that... <laughs> We're going down, uh, not just us, all of us, <laughs> uh, are going down the wrong road. We spent 70 years from 1945 until the last 12 months trying in successive rounds of the WTO, the World Trade Organization, used to be called uh, the General Agreement on Trades and Tariffs. We spent 70-odd years trying to get rid of tariffs or trying to reduce them as much as possible. And now we're going in the exact opposite direction, notwithstanding that we've known for a very, very long time that tariffs are a very poor policy instrument. They introduce all kinds of inefficiencies in a country. They produce, they pass on costs that are unnecessary to consumers, and 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 they slow down the economy. So here we are. Instead of instead of saying let's have a huge reconvention, uh, a meeting of the WTO, um, to say let's get down to brass tacks and start talking about this. What can we do to stop these tariff counter tariff counter tariff measures? And so we don't go down the road that we did, as, as we know we did in the 1930s, granted a different period of time, but when they got into the, these tariff wars, which were very, very destructive. Well, it's just, it's, it's death by a thousand cuts. I mean, yeah. you know, there's the announcement, uh, and it, was, it wasn't even a front page story the other day when, when the U.S. announced further sanctions against China. And of course, they're retaliating back, and now, now, now we're doing this. And exactly. we, we're all getting sucked into this trade war vortex right now. And yes. How do you stop this? Um, someone's going to have to show leadership. It's got to come from the top. I don't mean an academic for sure. <laughs> I mean it's got to come from a uh, a leader, a Western leader who has stature. Um, you know, if it came from both Trump and Z from uh, China, well, that would be fantastic. Uh, I think that the United States has to be on board because if they're not on board, they are the largest economy in the world. If they're not on board, it's not going to happen. <laughs> I'd be much happier if Mr. Trudeau was trying to... Uh, use his uh, good office uh, to uh, work behind the scenes with Trump to try to get him to start talking about going down that road. He keeps saying, I'm ready to talk anytime. Well, let's put him to the test. Let's, let's call a meeting of at least the, the, the largest trading countries in the world. There's 200 countries at the UN, but that's way too cumbersome to negotiate. How about just getting the G20? or even a smaller subset of the G20 to sit down and say, look, we've got to deal with some very big picture ideas here, concepts. Are we going to tolerate this, uh, this tariff war, set of wars that are going on, or can we stop it in its tracks? But they're not even talking about doing that right now. Well, maybe the reason they're not talking about it is because Trump likes this stuff. I mean, he, he yeah. seems to revel in the, in, in the disruption that he's causing. And, well, you remember that famous quote yeah. now, I, I love tariff wars. We can win these. 
exactly, exactly. And uh, he's got to. I, I quite agree. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not trying to duck it off on this. I mean, Tara, uh, Trump is at the at the core of this issue. He's the guy that really started it all. And and then secondly, because they are the largest economy in the world, it's going to have to. A solution has to come from that includes the United States. And then the question is, well, what can we do in Canada or UK or one of the other countries, Germany, to try to push or lobby or persuade Trump to go in that direction? Uh, whether it's giving speeches at the United Nations, whatever. It's just that the, the, what we're doing now, I just think, is not going to end up, uh, it's not going to help us. It's only going to hurt our economies. And down the road, we're going to look back and say, gee whiz, this is where we crossed the tipping point. And it just seems awfully foolish to be going down such a road that everybody knows is going to lead to bad outcomes. Does everybody know? I mean, because Trump has well, surrounded but... <laughs> himself with probably only a handful of people in the United States that actually do like tariffs, Peter Navarro and, 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 and Wilbur Ross and folks like that. And, and obviously, they're, they're pumping the wind beneath his wings right now. They're saying, yeah, go ahead, Mr. President, keep doing this. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You are. And uh, they are popular, I think, so far. Although, you know, when you look at his overall, uh, uh, um, you know, polling numbers, they're trending down, down, down. They're saying that he's going to lose the uh, the House of Representatives to the Democrats. So I'm not so sure that his ideas are that popular. That's the uh, first point. The second point is, is they haven't really hit yet. It takes a while for these price increases to feed their way through the supply chains. And because a lot of this is like steel, it's an indirect product. You and I as consumers don't go out and buy tons of steel. We go and buy cars that have a lot of steel in them. And uh, so that's how we express our demand. But it takes a while for the time that you impose the tariff on the steel to the time it works its way through to the mills, from the mills to the shipping to the car companies that are buying the, the raw steel to put into the car, etc. So, you know, we may not see it hitting and biting for another six or nine months. And uh, in other words, after the midterm election. So, you know, we may not feel the pain yet, but at some point we're going to feel the pain. And whether it triggers a recession or just triggers a significant increase in prices, yet to be determined. But And, and it's not just steel, obviously, that's going to be impacted no. by this. I mean, this exactly. is going to be the cost of the, your blue jeans at Walmart, too. I mean, everything is going to start exactly. increasing like this. Exactly. And, it, it you know, there's already some signals or data that is suggesting that inflation prices are creeping up. And I can remember, I'm old enough to remember, in the uh, 70s, I was a mortgage manager at the uh, at the Bank of Montreal, and uh, in the early 70s, inflation was at you know like at four, then it crept up to five, and then six, and then eight, and then ten. Eventually, it was over 14 percent inflation, and that's when the Federal Reserve in the states decided to declare war on it, and they said it was Paul Volcker, and he said, "I will drive up interest rates to whatever it takes to squeeze inflation out of the system." Interest rates peaked, if my memory serves me well, and I was the mortgage manager, they peaked at 20.5%. You know, people today talk about interest rates. I mean, it's just a joke. They're nothing compared to what we went through. We went through living hell in the early 80s with a, an induced recession, induced by the central bank to kill an, uh, inflation. But we don't want to go down that road again. It's very painful. It's very, very painful. Can we do this without the United States? Is there a way to end this? Uh, as you mentioned, whether it's going to be the G8 or the G20 or whatever it's going to be, because uh, obviously Trump doesn't seem to want to play in the sandbox with anybody at this stage. Right. I mean, there. Even though you're right, he does doesn't seem to 
um, have any observable set of allies. I mean, there's an implicit set of allies in the sense that, you know, no matter what he says or doesn't say, I mean, the Western allies, and I'm talking the, the NATO countries or the OECD countries, if you will, uh, they're not exactly the same, but close enough, meaning they're liberal, democratic, rule of law, uh, market economies. And, you know, the Germanys and the Italys and the UKs and the Canadas and Frances and so forth. We're not talking the authoritarian countries like China or Russia or Iran or Saudi Arabia. Those are, uh, you know, authoritarian countries and we don't, and they don't trade anywhere near as much as we do. Um, so I think it's got to come from within that core group of heavy trading companies, countries, excuse me, Germany being an obvious one. Germany has got to be brought on board. Uh, Italy is a big exporting country. Uh, so is UK, of course. So is Canada. I mean, you know, you don't even need a G20. You need probably just the G7 minus the United States to start talking with one another because they're all on a first name basis. And, and then saying, look, why don't we propose a summit with Mr. Trump? Just seven of us. Very intimate, off, you know, no cameras present. They've got, I mean, he's that kind of a guy. He's not the kind of guy who's going to sit down and read academic policy briefing notes. He's the kind of a guy who's very um, touchy-feely, like he likes to be briefed face-to-face with lots, you know, that kind of thing. And so he's going to need somebody to persuade him. Uh, and I can't believe that he despises all of these G7 leaders. I'm sure there's some there that he respects and that he's going to listen to, at least to some extent. And uh, it, it, if we don't, I mean, I don't see, <laughs> if we don't try to go down that road, I don't see any other solution. Because it's got to include the states because they are 25% of world GDP. That's how huge the U.S. is still today. After the rise of China, China is now 15% of world GDP. So those two countries together, China and America, are almost half of the world's GDP. They're 45% to be precise. Well, that's, there's 200 countries in the world. Two of them are about half of the world's GDP, and the other 198 share the leftovers, <laughs> to put it that way. Uh, boy, it's uh, it's problematic, obviously, and, and just yeah. I, I'm just hoping that somebody in, in Washington can actually see what's happening here, too. Ian, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for this. Have a great weekend. Yeah, my pleasure. Same to you. Take care. Ian Lee from the yeah, Sprott School of Business, of course, at Carleton University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.